0: I want you to remain standing as we take our Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 11. I begin reading in verse 13. We stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. And it reads like this. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, notice, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country from which They went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now look at me. We don't need to be thinking about that old life. Come on, right? We don't need to be thinking about that old life. See, I'm going to tell you what happens to a lot of Christians. What happens is they start serving the Lord, and they start out, and they say, this is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then all of a sudden they go along in their Christian journey, And they hit a little mountain. They hit a little difficulty. They hit a little trouble. And the devil says, oh, that old life was so much better. No, it wasn't. It was not. That's what the enemy told the Egyptians or told the Israelites. It was better back in Egypt. It was slavery back there. Let's don't think about back there because God's got some great things up ahead for us. Look at this. I'll read that again. Verse 15 again. If, if, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Pray with me. Father, today, how grateful we are for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. And it is a light to our path. It is better than thousands of gold and silver coins, as David said. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a treasure to us. And we cherish it. And today apply it to our hearts. My prayer, Father, today is that this word that you've given your servant would fall upon good soil. And it would give fruit that remains. Not fleeting, not passing, but fruit that remains throughout all of eternity, for your word does not return void, but it will accomplish for the thing which you have sent it to do. And we ask your blessing on this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you would notice with me today the first words of the 13th verse, all these died in faith, and there." Today is our title. All these died in faith. Or we could call it the faith to finish. We've started the race, but dear saints, look at me. You've got to finish the race. And we're going to talk about that today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has actually a wonderful book came out a year or so ago by uh, Mr. Mejia, I think was his name, or Metaxas, I'm sorry, just called Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, incredibly intellectual. He was a Lutheran theologian in Germany during Hitler, the time of World War II. And he was, in fact, the, the, the phrase cheap grace, that came from him, that phrase. And they think it probably came from his mother. A Lutheran intellectual professor, came to America, came to Union Seminary to finish some, to go do some more work on some degrees, and he said of Union Seminary, he said, I found no gospel there. I found no gospel there, no true gospel there at that seminary in New York City. All I found was the gospel of liberalism. But I want you to know he did find the gospel. But he didn't find it at Union Seminary. This professor found the gospel in Harlem. He found the gospel in Harlem among the black churches. Which they embraced him completely. Actually allowed him to teach a Sunday school class. He would go to a large black church on Sunday morning and would be lifted up to heaven with the worship. Sunday evening, he'd go to a little black storefront church where they would sing and worship. And he said, I found the gospel in Harlem. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back to Germany to face what happened during World War II uh, and during Hitler's Nazi demonic regime, in fact, one of the last things Hitler did is to call for the execution and the martyrdom of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And on his second month into his 39th year, he was executed in a prison camp, as many millions of others were at many of those prison camps. But as he went back to Germany, he carried with him a box of spiritual songs. And he, his students, he would say, listen to this. And they would just be lifted up by the spirituals. That they would sing. I don't know if this is one of those spirituals, but remember that this song was written back in the 1800s, late 1800s, and it's an old spiritual called Old Time Gospel. It goes like this, or Old Time Religion. It goes like this Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Come on. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It makes me love everybody. Hallelujah. It makes me love everybody. It makes me love everybody. Come on. And it's good enough for me. It goes on and says, It was good for the Hebrew children. It was, come on. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. And it's good enough for me. It goes on and says, It was tried in the fiery furnace. It was tried in the fiery furnace. It was tried in the fiery furnace. And it's good enough for me. But there's one more little part to this. That really ties in with our text of scripture today. And it goes like this. It will do when I am dying. It will do when I am dying. It will do when I am dying. Come on. And it's Good enough for me. Now the faith that we've been given by the Holy Spirit in this book is a living faith. We need a living faith. We need a living faith for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and not just Sunday. And we have a faith that's powerful enough to give us a living faith. A faith that gives us victory every day. But we also need another kind of faith which is the same kind of faith. It's not just good enough for living, it's a dying faith. When we ha- Listen, when we have to go through those chilly waters of death, and every one of us are going to take our turn if Jesus tarries. Come on, every one of us have an appointment that we're going to keep. It's appointed unto men, once to die and then to the judgment. But I want you to know my faith This faith of this word of God will not let us down on that day because it's a a faith that will give us victory in life, but it will give us victory in death. Why? Because the one I serve is the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, he shall not really die. Come on. He shall live because Jesus is the resurrection. It's good when I'm dying. These all died in faith. These few verses that we've looked at this morning is almost like a general sweeping statement of all that the writer has said. He's saying, in a sense, the ones we have just talked about, Enoch, Noah, Abel, Abraham. He's saying to the other Hebrews of of the first century, these people died in faith. I mean, I mean the the, the Hebrews that of, of that have been received the letter of the Hebrews, they were facing martyrdom. They were facing persecution. They were facing trial. They were facing temptation to go back from Christianity into Judaism. And the writer says, but look at these. These All died still believing. Do you get the story? These died believing. The promise began with Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. I've been to that land. My counsel to you is every Christian should visit the holy land. I've been twice. And oh, I'm praying I can go again. That was a land promised to Abraham. Passed on to Isaac. Passed on to Jacob. Passed on to Joseph. And on and on and on. But it's interesting that God gave Abraham a land. uh, Promises of a name. Promises of a seed. Which would come through his wife. And it would be the seed. Singular. Jesus Christ Would bless the world. God would bless the world through Abraham and the seed. And the blessing was not Abraham. Abraham was just a human, frail servant. It's Jesus that's the blesser. Come on. Jesus is the answer, not Abraham. Jesus is the answer. It's interesting, though. All Abraham ever received. Was a little field with a grave at the other end. But yet God promised it to him. But in all those years that he followed Jehovah Jesus, the scripture is very clear. They died without receiving. The reality of the promise. Isn't that interesting? But yet they died without receiving the full manifestation of it. But notice the posture of their lives when they're dying. I mean, oh, Jacob's leaning on his staff. Speaking blessing. Some people start out. The Christian life, it's like a hundred yard dash to them. They start out and they're running a thousand miles an hour, but you see them five or ten or twenty years later. And the fire's gone. The faithfulness is gone. The passion is gone. My question to you where are you today? You started, I've started. I started when I was a young man. I'm still in the race. How about you? I'm still hungry. I'm hungrier than I've ever been. I believe it more than I've ever believed it before. Pastor, are there things that you don't understand? Yes. has nothing to do with God. He's all wise. It has to do with my little frail mind. I see through a glass darkly. I can tell you this, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. His promises are yea and amen. These people died in faith. The Bible said in the next chapter, maybe we'll get to it one day if Jesus tarries. It says, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Abraham never slowed. Yea, he had some few doubt moments. So do you. Don't criticize him. You got yours. Yours is not published. Right? Isn't it amazing how God published all the good and bad stuff? You know this is not a man-made book. Man would have left a bunch of stuff out. Had a few weak moments. But he died with a posture of moving up higher. That's what we need today. We need to die in faith. We need a faith to finish. Now I have three things I want to say. Three things. Number one. I would say this, the Lord is faithful to the promises which He has given us. The Lord, hear this, the Lord is faithful to the promises which He has given us. The marvelous verse in 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Here's what that means. That means that everything God has spoken, he will work into our lives through Jesus Christ, but it shall be done because they're yea. And we're the ones that say amen. Say amen with me. You ever hear somebody say amen and they do it like a question mark? They go, amen? That's not what an amen is. An amen is not a question mark. An amen is amen. So I want you to say it with me like you mean it. Come on. That's, now, that's better. So next time when the pastor says Say amen, don't go, amen? You've you, you got a doubting amen. We need an authoritative amen. So it means, so be it. God, faithful to his promises. They are yea, and they are amen, and he will fulfill them. Now, here's what we need to distinguish and a lot of people today don't distinguish these two. And they get in error. We need to distinguish between the now promises and the future promises. Do you know there's now promises and there's future promises? We're not getting it all here. But oh, we do have some now promises. So I want to take a moment and with the Lord's grace and help. I want to fill your tank, in a sense. I want to encourage you. There are some now. Let's just think about the now promises. The promises that God has given us for the now. One of the promises is they promise to save. To save whoever calls upon his name. Whosoever will may come and may drink of the waters of life freely. Do you realize that our salvation is based on a promise? You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean this. When you gave your heart, when you called upon the Lord to save you, repented of your sin, believed completely and solely and exclusively upon Christ, your hair didn't change color. You didn't lose 40 pounds, did you? No, you didn't. Did you check your bank account Monday and you had 100 more dollars in there? No. No, that's not the kind of transaction we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual transaction that takes place deep in the heart of man where God converts a man. The miracle of salvation where Ezekiel and the prophet said, I will take away the heart of stone and I will give a heart of flesh. Jesus said it this way, you must be born again. It's based on a promise that if a man or a woman will call upon the name of the Lord. They will be saved in the present. Yes, it's the earnest. But the earnest is the now part of the promise. We're, We're not completely saved yet in the sense that we don't have our glorified body. But today we are saved. Are there any saved people at Trinity Life Church today? We are saved. My sins are washed away. My name is in that great book in heaven. And I I cry, Abba, Father, because the Spirit in me witnesses that Jesus is my Savior today. God in heaven is my heavenly Father. I am saved. How do I know I'm saved? One way, or two ways, really. The promise of God, and the Bible said, where does the assurance of salvation come? Where does it come from? I hear preachers trying to convince people they're saved. Paul never did that. In fact, Paul did the opposite of what modern day preachers did. Paul said, you better check and see if you are in the faith or not. Pastor, where does the assurance of my salvation come from? I believe you can have it. And 1 John 3, 24 tells us, it's by the witness of the Spirit. The Spirit witnesses to us. I don't have to have anyone tell me that I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart that witnesses that because I have believed upon Christ, there is a witness in our hearts that we are born again. I'm talking about some now promises. God is faithful to his promises. Let me give you another one. The Lord's now promise is a promise to meet our needs. He's going to take care of Trinity Life Church if we will just humbly obey Him and trust Him, He will meet all of our needs at this church. It may get a little tight sometimes, but my eyes are on the promises. Because His promise said, I will meet all of your need. I will supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But we're not talking about just corporate meeting our needs. The Lord loves you and will meet your needs. He he says, don't worry about what you'll put on. Don't worry about what you will eat. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds flying around. Would I take care of them? And yet my son shed his blood for you. Why would I not meet your need? What do you need to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as Brother Reed said. And all of these things shall be added unto you. God says, I'll meet your need. All my need's big. He fed the Israelites 40 years every day for 40 years. Somebody uh, calculated like 360 train cars full every day. I don't know if that's exactly correct, but someone said that. 360 train cars full every day for 40 long years. And their shoes and clothes didn't even wear out. Don't you think God can meet your needs? God's promises in life are yes and amen. What about a now promise like this? The Lord promises to give us victory over the adversary, over the world, and over all the difficulties that we will ever face. This is a victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. We face every difficulty. How do we face it? Faith. When we come to a lack time, trust God to meet needs. When the adversary attacks, faith will put him to flight. Take the shield of faith. We can quench the fiery darts of the enemy and put him to flight. God said he would give us victory. Even Isaiah said, when you go through the fire, it won't burn you. He said, when you go through the waters, they will not overflow you. Think about it. And even when temptation comes, you're not a victim. We have today a victim mentality in, our, in America. Everyone's a victim. And they love to proclaim their victimization. It's like a badge. It's like a self-centered thing. Now I know people go through stuff and we need to have compassion. But when it becomes something that we're glorying in our victimization. We're not victims. We're victors. We're the children of God. Don't we know who we are anymore? We belong to Him. Even as Antibus, my faithful martyr, my faithful witness, it said in the Revelation, promises victory. Here's another wonderful now promise. The Lord said, I will be with you. I feel so alone, Pastor. Why are you feeling that way? You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. The fact is, we are never alone. Did not our Lord say in this book, chapter 13, verse 5, that we can say boldly, the Lord is my helper, because he said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. To the disciples, he said, I will be with you even to the end of this age. My presence will not leave you. He is with you. He has sealed you unto the very day of redemption. He is with you every day. What we need to do is acknowledge he's with us. Acknowledge it. When the devil says, you're alone, say, shut up, devil. You're a liar. The promise says he is with me. Now promises. Think about this. What about the promise. The now promise. That says I will hear you. And answer your prayer. When we prayed up here. The God of heaven. Leaned his ear over. Because he has given promises. Now promises. In this book. That says that his ears are open to the cry of the righteous. Psalm 34 verse 15, the writer of Hebrews in this very book we're ministering out of 416, he says, come boldly to the throne of grace, and there you will find mercy, and there you will find grace to help in your time of need. Our Lord Jesus, the highest authority in the universe, said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified, whatever you ask. God said, I will hear your prayer. We call upon Him because He is our help in trouble. We call upon Him because He's our healer in sickness. We call upon Him because He's the giver of the Holy Spirit. And He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And when we need harvest, He says, pray the Lord of the harvest. And He's going to send out labors into His harvest to harvest the lost. I'm telling you, God is a God who in this life said, I will be faithful to the now promises That he's given us. But think about this. We need to distinguish between what? The now promises and the future promises. So I want to tell you this. This book touches time in that I I have to be saved in time. In fact, we have a very short period of time. We have a very short period called your life and my life. And it's in that short period of time that we have to claim and call upon the Lord and surrender to him in salvation. But this book reaches beyond time. This book reaches into eternity. This book reaches beyond the grave, Sister Helen. It reaches beyond death, Sister Helen. It reaches beyond that chilly waters of death. And it reaches all the way and takes the child of God all the way to eternity. Paul said this. Don't look. Don't gaze upon the things which are seen because the things which are seen are only temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The truth is that no matter how many of the wonderful promises we receive in this life, the now promises, no matter how many blessings that the Lord blesses us with, they will always be incomplete In this life. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Fallen world. Broken. Here's what happens. At salvation, there's a tremendous change that takes place in every child of God's life. You say, what's that change? There's a change of mind and there's a change of heart. One of the things that happens at salvation is this. First of all, the first thing that happens is we see our own brokenness. The first part of the gospel, the first part of the good news is the bad news. And the bad news shows us through the word of God the reality of our own brokenness. The reality of our own sinfulness. The the first ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring, bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And the gospel shines according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6. 4 through 6. And the light shines in the darkness. And as the light shines in the darkness. What we realize is this. That we are fallen. And that we are away from God. And and we don't know God. But we desperately need God. And that's the work of the word of God. Through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But then. When we are saved. When that great chasm from lostness to save, from, from unredeemed to redeemed to unreconciled to reconciled. When that great chasm is redeemed, something incredible happens. Many incredible things happen. But one of the major things that happen is I begin to see the world differently than I've ever seen it before. That was such a reality in my life when I was saved. Paul said it this way. Paul before Christ, after Christ. Here's what he said. He said, in a sense, I saw the world completely different. And the world saw me completely different. You say, what do you mean? Galatians 4, uh, 6, 14. Listen to this. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which, notice this, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you capture that? The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? I had a long quote I was going to read. I won't read it for time's sake. But it basically means this. The world doesn't want me anymore. And I don't want the world anymore. They don't want me, and I don't want them. They see me different. I see them different. See, what happens is that salvation, something happens in the heart and the mind of a true child of God. They don't see the world as something to embrace, they see it as a ship sinking to be abandoned. What did Peter say in his first sermon? Save yourself from this crooked generation. Get off the ship. It's sinking. It's going down. Judgment's coming. Be saved. Call upon the Lord. And we see that in Scripture. And what happens is there's now promises, but there's other promises, future promises. And here's what happens to a true child of God. Oh, we groan. We groan for eternity, don't we? We groan to be, we groan. If, if you don't groan for heaven, something's wrong. You need to come to pray at this altar because every child of God that loves Jesus and loves what he's done and, and saved, we, we groan to step out of this world and to be with the Lord. Listen to what, listen what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 18. Beginning in verse 18. Listen to these words. Paul says, For I considered that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Notice. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. There was a great fall. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For this we know, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, But also we ourselves having the first fruit of the Spirit. Notice, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of the sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he has already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. With perseverance. We wait for it. We die in faith, longing for that heavenly world and that heavenly land that is fairer than day. Paul said, I long for heaven. In one, Philippians 1, 21 through 23, said, I long to depart to be with Jesus. And he said this, which is far better. In this text we've taken. In 16th verse it says. They desire a better country. Verse 16. A heavenly one. A heavenly one. I want you to think about it this morning. The Lord is faithful to the promises which he has given. Both the now promises and the future promises. They are all Yea and Amen. And you may be like Abraham, who God gave a promise, and you may die without seeing it all, but you will see it. And Abraham saw it through Jesus Christ. And now God's regathering Israel, is He not? Secondly, <clears throat> not only is the Lord faithful to the promises which He has given, but secondly, we must faithfully cling to the promises during our earthly lives. Did you hear that? Did you hear the part? The clinging part? That's the part I want you to get. During our earth. These are faithful promises. But you understand. You have to cling to these. You can't, hold, you can't lighten your grip on these. We've got to cling to these promises throughout our entire lives. If we're going to die in faith that is. Now notice what verse 13 says again. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Having died in faith. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, having seen them and having, now notice this word, having welcomed them from a distance. Having welcomed them. The old King James says, embrace them. Now, here's here's the thing. Hospitality during the days of the patriarch was a big deal. This word, welcome, means to welcome with hospitality. Hospitality. To welcome with recognition. It would be like someone coming and you are, you've seen them even today in the Eastern countries, and where they would embrace someone and they kiss them on the cheek. Hospitality and that greeting, that Eastern greeting is so very important, so very deeply ingrained in the culture. We get glimpses of it in Scripture in Genesis 18, when the Lord brought two angels. And Abraham probably didn't know it was the Lord at first. The Bible says, you you remember, the great extent that he went to to welcome them. He fixed them a huge meal. He killed the calf. And and it says he stood there and waited to make sure that they were cared for. Then when the two angels left and went down to Sodom, Lot was there and they were going to sleep in this open square. He begged them, please, no, 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 no. Come, come, come under my roof. They did. When the men of the city came to abuse them, so important was hospitality in that day. Take my daughters. Don't harm these men. They believed there'd be a curse upon them. If somebody under your hospitality would be harmed, it was a big deal. Notice this. Here's the question. The Bible said the patriarchs, what do they do? They welcome the Word of God. They embrace the Word of God. Here's our question I want to ask you today. How do we greet the Word of God when it comes to us? Do we embrace it with love and honor? Do we kiss it with affection? Do we treat it with the highest honor and respect? Do we treat it as our guest of honor? The patriarchs did. Just like they would greet and welcome a physical guest, the promises, they welcomed them, they embraced them, they kissed them, they honored them, they died believing them. Consider this the life of faith is not a one and done, but it is a faith where we cling to the promises of God. We welcome them. We embrace them again and again and again. Isn't that what we do every Sunday? Isn't that what we do when we come in this place of worship? We're saying, I am going to get a hold on God's word again. What we're doing today is we're welcoming it again. False faith is very prevalent in our modern day. We find the shallow faith of Matthew 13, 20, and 21 everywhere. And I read, it says, and yet it, the seeds planted had no firm root, but it was only temporary. It was only temporary. And I tell you this, that is not a faith God will accept. The only kind of faith that God will accept is a faith that clings, a faith that perseveres, a faith that lives for him, but a faith that dies for him. The very words of the writer of Hebrews says this in the 10th chapter, 35th verse. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Notice, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Notice, if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him and we listen we are not of those who shrink back unto destruction but of those who have faith to the persevering to the reserving of the soul now the very words of Jesus Christ our lord john 15:1 i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You are already clean. You are already saved. You are already washed. You already know God. You are already clean. Abide in me. Hear this? You are already saved. Meno, abide. no. cling. Stay there. Abide. Cling to the word of God throughout your life. You're already clean. You're saved today. Don't let go of the word of God, church. Abide in Jesus. Notice he is talking to his own disciples. And he says, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide or remain in me, he is thrown away as a branch. And dries up and they gather them and cast them in the fire. They are burned. Friend, I want you to know, God is faithful to keep his promises. Both the now promises and the future promises. And in this life, we must cling to the promises. We must hold to the promises again and again and again. Lastly... I would say this to you. There are different ways to die. It says in the text, these all died in faith. Those in the hall of faith, in Hebrews 11, they died in faith. Revelation says this, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord." The psalmist said in 116.15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But My dear friend, there's more than one way to die. What do we do with Ezekiel's words? In Ezekiel 18.23, he says as a prophet of the Lord, Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord. Rather than they should turn from his ways and live, these all died in faith. Then he says, The death of the wicked. Not all men, all men die, but not all die alike. How do some men die? Some men die. In regret. Some men die because they miss so many opportunities. Some people die because of so many bad choices. Family disappointments. Constant choosing wrong choices throughout their life. And they die on a deathbed full of regrets. One nurse said, and I quote, one nurse said this. Without exception, every male I've ever cared for died regretting how much time he spent at work and away from family. That's what the nurse said. Every male I've ever been a part of their life and death at the end, they regretted, I wish I would have spent more time with my family and not so much time earning the almighty dollar. Some people die in regret. Some people die in fear. They come to death and they fear what's beyond They never really thought about meeting God. And now, here it is. They put it off. They pushed it out of their mind. And here they are. And they're afraid to die. I have met people like this. Some people die in work. And what I mean is, they come to their death, and they die trying to fix all the things that they've broken they are trying to work. They try to mend all the stuff they did in their lifetime. And they come to the end and they're just trying to fix it all. Some people die in despair. They come to death and there's a hopelessness as they face eternity. They have no sense of the peace of God. They have no sense of the mercy of God. They've rejected God over and over and over again. And they're on their deathbed and they can't find Him. And they die in despair. Shockingly enough, some people die in jokes. I've also seen this. Humor, making fun of what's ahead. Foolishly, making light. Saying stupid things. I've seen family members try to lighten the moment with frivolity. And yet eternity is no joking matter. Some people die in denial. Recent, I met someone like this the other day. As we tried to, he tried to witness to him, tell him his story of salvation. Some people die in denial. They they, they believe that you just cease to exist. There's no such thing as eternity. You just cease to exist, and they die in denial. Some people die in self-sufficiency. Some people die and they're trusting in themselves. Let's say something like this. Hey, do you know the Lord? Are you ready to meet Him? Are you ready to meet God? How, how do you know you're ready? I'm a good person. I've been good to people. Anyone that ever says that, you know they do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly. They do not understand what the Bible says. The truth of the gospel is no one is good. No one, no, not one. There's not enough goodness in all of us to merit one person going to heaven. There's only one that was good. And he was perfect. And his righteousness is perfect. Some people die depending on their own goodness. And shockingly even more, some people die... In the very act of sin. They die sinning. They leave this earth. And they step into eternity. In the act of sinning. Or cursing. Or indulging in the flesh. And that's how they go out into eternity. And I'll give you an example. I think the year was 1994 I think. A rap singer named Tupac, a very famous rap singer, who was very popular, probably very wealthy. He was gunned down in Las Vegas as as a white car drives by and someone in there begins to fire. And this gentleman was hit in the chest several times. The police come and they try to render help and they try to render first aid to Mr. Tupac. And the police officer started saying to him, Who did this to you? Who did this to you? Who did this to you? And the very last words that this gentleman said, he said, Blank you. Blank you. As he slipped into unconsciousness and later into eternity. Going into eternity with a curse word. My friend, think about it. God is faithful to his promises that he's given. We need to cling to these promises, but think about it. These all died in faith, but not all men die the same way. We see it illustrated in Scripture. The rich man and Lazarus, the rich man faring sumptuously every day, the rich man not denying himself any fleshly pleasure, and yet the poor Lazarus at his gate. Both men died. It's amazing how death is an equalizer. One goes into hell. The burning side lifts up his eyes and tormented. Lazarus was taken to Abraham's bosom. The, 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 the writer says, Abraham said, He is comforted now, and you are tormented. See, not all men die the same way. Jesus told a sobering story of a man who was very successful, so successful, so successful, and what, what, uh, so. Uh, rich was this man he didn't have enough places to put his stuff and he said I know what I'll do he said within himself he didn't pray about it he didn't ask God he just said I will build bigger barns and I'll just fill them up more and Jesus called the man a fool you fool this night your soul will be required of you not all men die the same way I close The only successful way to die is to die in faith. The only successful way to die is to die welcoming and clinging to Jesus Christ and His unchanging promises. My wife made mention of something the other day of what she heard preachers say her whole life. I've even said it. Many preachers. Most preachers have said it. If they're worth their salt. And the statement is this. No sin will ever enter heaven. No sin will ever enter the presence of holy God. And that is a true statement. But it must be qualified. Or rather explained. Because when I hear a statement like that. I know my own heart. Do you know your heart? I know my own heart. I know my own struggles. First thing you'll say is. Dear God will I even make it in? No sin will enter heaven. How am I ever going to make it into heaven? I want to go to heaven. I long to be there. i groan to be there. And then someone comes and says, no sin will ever enter heaven. And if you don't understand the gospel, you'll fall in despair. You will absolutely fall in despair. Here's the answer. The children of Israel had sinned. The children of Israel sinned against God. They were criticizing their leader Moses. And we know the wages of sin brings consequence. And the Lord allowed fiery serpents to come among them. And they started biting the people. And people started dying. And there was a panic. And they came to Moses and said, We sin and we're dying and the fiery serpents are biting us. And we don't know what to do. And Moses fell on his face and began to cry to God. And God showed him the answer. The Lord said, Make a serpent. Place it on a pole. Tell the people, if they will just look, look and live. Look and live. Do you understand this is the answer? This is the answer to heaven. This is the answer that no sin will get into heaven. If I look at myself, I fall in despair. If I look at my efforts, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna come up short every single time. But the answer is to look to the one who is a type of the one who is the serpent on the pole. Jesus Christ hung on the cross. He hung on the cross. He bore our sin. He bore our disobedience. He took our punishment. And now, if we believe upon Him, he takes God takes His righteousness and accounts it to our account. And God sees us as justified. God sees us as having no sin in our lives. Therefore, no sin will get into heaven. And because I'm claiming Jesus as my righteousness, I'm going to make it in, glory to God. You're going to make it in if you'll trust Christ. You're going to make it in because... There's salvation in no other. And there's no other name given under, in, under heaven among men. Whereby we must be saved. I'm trusting Christ. Perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation. I can know God. I can walk with Him. I can fellowship with Him. Why? Because the perfect righteousness of Jesus our Lord. I want you to stand.